Come now uh, to the scripture. Let me ask you, uh, please, uh, to pray with me. Uh, Father, uh, your word um, is before us and uh, continue to pray uh, for us and through the course of my own life that uh, we never take it for granted. Sort of ho-hum the Bible being in front of us, but to realize what is here, the treasure, the wisdom of God. And so we give you thanks for it and now pray that, Holy Spirit, that you would work in us in the appropriate way for us as we come to the word that we would be attentive to it, that you would overcome any resistance we have um, to not only understanding but believing and embracing the truth that is here. Work it please within us. Um, May it be life to us. And this I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn please to John in chapter 10. I want to read the first 21 verses. So 1 through 21. This will take us two weeks, as I think you'll notice. If you've been with us, you'll notice why. But um, John chapter 10, please, in verse 1. Jesus speaking. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hears his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought them, when he has brought out all his own, he goes before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. The stranger, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> they will not follow, but <clears throat> they will flee from him for they do not know the voice of, the, of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So again, Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers. The sheep did not listen to them. I'm the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and to have it abundantly. I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He was a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. The wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I'm the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me just as the father knows me and I know the father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. They have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life, that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. There again was a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, he is a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? Others said, these are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon Open the eyes of the blind. And together we say, The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. 
I want if God will help me to take up <clears throat> really just what we find in verse 7 and again in verse 9 where Jesus says, I am the door of the sheep. And then in verse 9, I'm the door. If anyone enters by me, he'll be saved and will go in and out and find pastors. Uh, I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, as you know, three weeks ago, that I would take up these um, I am sayings in the Gospel of John. Typically, I preach through a whole gospel, but for whatever reason, I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to take up these particular sayings. No particular reason other than I like them. Uh, but... Um, uh, and they help, they'll help fill in the gaps, I suppose, as we're moving through them. But this statement, I am, where Jesus grabs that handle, um, we remember is his way of saying that he's God. Remember when Moses was leading the Israelites out of Egypt, that he's being called at that bush that was burning but not being consumed. He asked God what? God's name was, who should he say has sent him? And God said, I am, that I am, I am who I am. And Jesus takes up that expression as well. Um, at one point, in fact, earlier chapter 8, he talks to the Pharisees and he says, before Abraham was, I am. And they knew exactly what he was saying. And now Jesus gives some some definition to that statement, I am. And he had mentioned to them that he's the bread of life. He has mentioned to them that he's the light of the world. And now in this passage, we see two I am's, uh, that he's the door and also that he's the good shepherd. And we'll take them up separately. I'll take up the door this week, the good shepherd next week. Uh, they come in this particular uh, passage uh, kind of together. Uh, we'll separate them. Uh, because obviously it seems that Jesus has two ideas in mind, at least, uh, since he uses two images, one door, one good shepherd, so we'll take them up separately. They, they come in the same passage because, because they come from the same, um, illustration, if you will, this vocation of shepherding, of shepherding sheep. So we find them, um, you find them here. The first question I have for us is, why, why does Jesus bring this up? Why does he start talking about sheep and uh, shepherds and doors and so forth? Well, um, each one of these I am statements we find so far at least has a context. The context of, of the I am the bread of life statement came out of when Jesus fed 5,000 plus people with just a little bit of bread and fish. And so he, he sort of used that to segue into his own identity, who he is. He's the bread of life. And by that, we know that he was saying, without me, you die. Just like you need bread to live physically, you need me to live eternally and to live the life that God has for you. Without me, you die. It was an exclusive statement. He says, there is no other bread other than me. I'm the very bread of God. I'm the very bread of heaven. You need me. And then... As the Feast of Tabernacles was ending and over and they had just celebrated the great festival of lights, Jesus could come on the heels of that and say, I'm the light of the world. You can't really see anything. You can't really understand anything. You can't see anything unless you see it by way through, through me, through my death, through my resurrection, through my ascension, through my ruling and reigning, through my return. You can't see anything, really. You can't see who God is. You can't see who you are. And see life without me. I'm the light of the world. And, and now he comes and he makes this statement. I'm the door of the sheep. I'm the door. 
We have to enter. We get it. We have to enter through him. There isn't any other way to the kingdom of God. There isn't any way into the presence of God. There isn't any other way into life except through through Jesus. So what, what really brings him here? Well, what brings him here is he's in the midst of a discussion with the religious leaders of the day, a particular group called the Pharisees. They were respected. They were looked up to. Uh, they were the ones that sort of set the religious tone pace for the people of Israel. Um, they were the separated ones. That's what Pharisees means. And when they were originally were kind of established back in the Old Testament days, they they it was a good thing. They were to separate themselves out from the world. But, but they had got caught up in themselves and they had uh, gotten caught up into the fact that they were uh, descendants of Abraham and they assumed and since they were descendants of Abraham's that automatically gave them a lock on the kingdom of God and they assumed then that they could take this law missing the grace that was in the law and said here's what we have to do and we will be righteous and right before God Well, anyway, Jesus was in the midst of a discussion with them. He was in the midst of a discussion with them because there had been this miracle that he had performed. And uh, he had taken a man, John chapter 9, who had been born blind, and he gave him sight. Now, it seems that I can say that so casually, but I, I can't even imagine what that must have been like. I mean, he was a man that everyone knew, couldn't see his whole life. He was an adult. His, part of his own identity, as you will, that he was blind. People knew that. He knew that. Uh, I suspect he had no particular hope of ever seeing. And, and now Jesus comes to him and he spits a little, gets a little mud, makes some stuff, puts it in his eye sockets. And this man can see. I mean, everything would have changed for that man at that point in time. Even his appearance. Some people looked at him and they go, who is this guy? It can't be the same guy. He looks different. It can't really be be him. His neighbors saw him and said, what do we do with this? We better, we better take him to the Pharisees. They know everything. And so the big question was, who did this? Who, who could do such a thing instantaneously cause this man to see and so the, the, the Pharisees began to examine him. He goes, well, this can't be the same guy. <laughs> because surely this, this Jesus, he, he couldn't really be anything because he, 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 he did this on the Sabbath. Jesus would later say of the Pharisees in this wonderful expression, he says, they were people that, that strained at gnats and swallowed camels. Uh, you, you get it, uh, the kind of people they were. And they, there's something about seeing trees but no forest. I don't know. They just kind of focused in and, and they had even a wrong view of the Sabbath. The Sabbath was to be the day that we would worship and, and it would be a day of rest. It would be a day when we'd marvel in the things of God and his provision for us. And what better could take place on such a day when we're thinking about God and marveling in his wonderful love and power and grace than somebody be able to see that couldn't see that to be restored in this sense. And, and so, so they, but they said, no, 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 you're not allowed to work on the Sabbath. That would be work. You can't do this. So they just rejected Jesus out of hand because of that. And they missed it. They were supposed to realize these Pharisees. They were kind of the gatekeepers, really, for the, for the people. They were, they, were, they were supposed to see when the Messiah came. And they were supposed to realize that when the Messiah came, 
the lame would walk and the lepers would be cleansed and the deaf would hear and the blind would see. They should have just jumped up and down with this man. It's, he's here. The Messiah's here. But, but no, they didn't say that at all. In fact, they began to, to, to quiz this guy. He said, well, he couldn't have been the man that was blind. So they got his parents. And they said, no, no, that's our son. He was born blind, really. Now he can see. We have no idea how all this happened. Because they were afraid that if they admitted that it was Jesus who did it, and that they thought that Jesus was from God, then they would be ostracized. They'd be kicked out of the temple. And to be ostracized, to be kicked out of the temple, means that they would have lost everything. Their, their religious life would be gone. Their social life would be gone. Their economic life would be gone. Everything. They would be outside this community, you see. And so they did want to risk that so they said we well, talk to him and he's old enough talk to him about this and so the man was just flabbergasted he didn't quite know who jesus was all he knew was that he was blind and now he could see and and it just was head scratching for him to think that anybody would question this guy or to think that he was demonic because of the power that he had to do such good But the Pharisees said, that can't be. And so rather than to celebrate with him, rather than acknowledge who Jesus was, they kicked this man out of the temple. And so that he had his sight. (laughs) But at least in their mind, nothing else. Um, And now Jesus wants to talk to these Pharisees in a way that they'll understand who they are. And what they've done. So he tells a story. He uses this this image. The first six verses here in chapter 10 are, are, are just to set it up. Everyone who was in listening of Jesus, hearing of Jesus, would understand what he was talking about. At least in terms of, of, of the image, the figure of speech, as it says here in verse 6. Uh, that he was using. That they'd know all the... All the points of reference. So he says, truly, truly, I say to you, he who doesn't enter by the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice. He calls his own sheep by name, leads them out. When he's brought all, uh, brought all out, brought out all his, his own, he goes before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. A stranger they won't follow, but they'll flee from him. For they do not know the voice of strangers. Sheep pens, sheep folds were common. Because sheep were common and shepherds too. And uh, uh, normally during the course of the day, the sheep would be out with the shepherd. Um, um, green pastures, still waters and all of that. You know, they'd be taken out and be nurtured and fed and, and uh, exercised and cared for by the shepherd. But at night... Um, there would be great danger for the sheep. There were the predators of wolves and other animals like that, but also those who might come and steal them, steal them away from the shepherd. And, uh, and so to keep all that from happening, sheep folds were built. They were often built. These people would be perhaps looking at one as Jesus was talking, or at least have a, a good uh, one in their mind's eye, and they would realize these sheep folds were like courtyards, but they had big... Stone walls that were all around. Um, sometimes uh, they would put briars at the top, like we would put barbed wire on the top of something, and there would be briars on the top, so you can just see this big sheepfold, and it had a door. And oftentimes, many shepherds would share a sheepfold, so there'd be many different flocks in a particular sheep 
fold. And, and so, uh, to, to, to make sure that the right flocks were in the particular sheep fold, they might hire a gatekeeper who would watch the gate. It could open and close, obviously. And, uh, and so, uh, the shepherds would bring in their sheep. And then in the morning, each shepherd would come to get his sheep. And to do that, they would simply call them. Uh, it was very common for sheep to learn the voice of their shepherd. Uh, perhaps he had one sort of call for all of his sheep, or perhaps, as we have it here, that uh, there were various uh, favorite ones that they knew by name, and they would simply call them. That's important in Jesus' story here. And 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 and, and so. The only people that could get in other than coming through the gate would be thieves and robbers. They would have to go over the top. And so if anybody was doing that or anybody was in there that wasn't, didn't go through the gate, have the approval of the gatekeeper, then you'd know those are thieves and robbers and we need to get them, get them out and, uh, and the sheep would follow their shepherd's voice, not the voice of another shepherd. So Jesus sets that all up and they're just kind of scratching their heads. Verse six, this figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they didn't understand. What he was saying to them, no surprise, his former illustration was that they were blind. Uh, and so it's uh, no surprise they didn't understand him at, at this point. So then he begins uh, to break it, to break it down for them. Verse seven he says, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep didn't listen to them. Now, uh, what did Jesus mean by that? All, all that came before me were sheep and robbers, uh, were thieves and robbers. He, he didn't mean the, the prophets like Moses and Elijah and Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel. He didn't mean those who have come before me are thieves and robbers. What he meant was, you're thieves and robbers. Uh, you're, you're the ones that are trying to lead the sheep away. You're the ones who kind of come and steal them. You're the ones who come and kill them. You, you'll destroy them. You're, you're, that, you're the ones, uh, these various ones. You're supposed to have been guarding them. You're supposed to have been watching them. You're supposed to have been the religious leaders to, to lead them, but, but you're actually leading them astray. And, and what will happen is just like you, they'll be destroyed if they follow your way. Because you see, the Pharisees followed their own way. They said, oh, here's the law that we need to follow. If we follow this law, then God will accept us. Then we'll have our own, our own righteousness. And, and he said, no, no, no. If you do that, uh, you'll be destroyed. You'll never, you'll never enter into the kingdom of heaven. You'll never enter the kingdom of God. They were thieves and they were robbers because, you see, uh, they cared more for their own power than the power of God. They cared more for their own will than the will of God. They cared more for their own control than the sovereign work of God. They cared more for their own ways than God's, than their own systems, than God's means of drawing people to himself through the work of and the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. They didn't really care about the people. It was obvious because they didn't really care about this man. He was blind. And now he could see their response. Oh, yeah, let's kick him out. She said, no, 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 no. No shepherd would do that. Only a thief and a robber, someone who would kill and destroy. You want to destroy this guy. I, I want to save him. You want to keep him blind. I want to give him sight. 
You want to kick him out. I want to bring him in. And so you see, Jesus said, no, no, you're these thieves and you're these robbers. Jesus said, I'm the door. What a statement to make. He's essentially saying that the only way to really get in the sheepfold of God is through me. He isn't saying, I know where the door is. And, and I'll help you get there. Uh, he, he's not saying, I can, I can open the door for you. He's actually saying, I really am the door. This is, this is my identity. There's no way in to this sheepfold unless you go, he says, really through me. There isn't any other door. And, and, and this door leads to life. We have it here, abundant life. It's life to the full. It's the life that, that really God intends for those in his image. It's the fullness of life from God. It's opposed to that which destroys. It's opposed to death. You remember the classic verse, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, whoever believes in him should not perish. This isn't perishing. <laughs> this isn't hell. This is life. And Jesus said, here's, here's the way into it. And he really is saying, I'm the only way into it. There's only one door and I'm that door. Any other door will lead you astray. Any other way will lead to destruction. I'm this, I'm this door. If you think life is gotten by having status in your society, by having a high position, you'll be destroyed. You'll never find life there. Or you might for a while, but it's almost always the testimony of people in high places after a while for them to really scratch their head in their quiet moments of their life and say, really? I sacrificed everything for this? I thought it'd be more than this. Or if we think life comes in our possessions and, you know, as well as I do, they wear out or you get used to them or there's never enough of them. If you think it's in your wealth, we realize, oh, it may buy some pleasure at a moment and this moment and that moment. It may even ease and bring comfort at the end of life, but, but it eventually fails us because when we need it the most, that is, we're taking our last breath. It's no help whatsoever. It can't keep us for all Eternity, what's going to happen next when we leave it uh, all behind? Our fitness, our health, we can invest deeply in it. And, and please don't let me uh, stop you from exercising and all that. But, 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 but we can invest deeply within it, but it will, it will fail us uh, eventually. Uh, our intellects, we can invest in them deeply and we should and learn and grow, but there's always somebody smarter and there's always more to know. And we always come to the end of that. And, and, and then age happens and we just begin forgetting everything we once knew. And so, um, it happens, you see. Whatever we invest deeply in, whatever we think is going to bring us life, unless it's through Jesus, there's no life because there's no life unless we're reconciled with God so that we receive his life. And the thing that keeps us from that life and being reconciled to God is righteousness. 
our sin keeps us from it because we're unrighteous. You remember Genesis chapter 1 and 2. God creates, gives instructions to our first parents, Adam and Eve, and how they're to live. And, they, and he says to them, essentially, you need to trust me. You need to worship me. You need to follow me. So here's a tree. Knowledge of good and evil. Don't eat of it. It's not that the fruit is poisonous. <laughs> it's just that when you do that, you'll be turning away from me. You'll be saying, in effect, that I, Adam, I, Eve, I get to decide what's good and evil, not God. And I'm not going to submit to him anymore. And when they ate of the tree, what happened? They turned against God and death entered. And then what happened? Well, then they were exiled. They were cast out. They, they couldn't live in this garden that had the tree of life. They couldn't live in this place where they were life. They were, they were cast out, you see. And, and what happened? A couple angels began, stood guard. How could they get back in? That's then the question from Genesis 3 on. How are we going to get back in? How are we going to get back into the presence of God? And we can see what happens in the course of life. There's murder that happens in various ways. And by chapter 6 in Genesis, the, 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 the refrain is that the thoughts and inclinations of human beings were evil continuously. And so God brings judgment. And so he provides a new place of safety called an ark. And uh, Noah, who found favor in the eyes of God, and by faith I trust righteous in his sight, who was allowed with his family to live in there. And there was another door on the ark that was open for Noah and his family, but was closed by God to keep Noah and his family safe and evil out. And, and then God calls for himself this man, Abraham. He becomes Abraham. And he says, you're going to have great descendants. You're going to be a nation. And you're going to be my people. They'll be my people and I'll live among them. Well, how is that going to happen? Well, we see after the people are enslaved in Egypt, then they come out of Egypt and are at Mount Sinai and God makes them his, his people and he begins to give them instructions about how they're to live in his presence. But there's still a gate, still a veil. And, and we know in order to have God live in their presence, a priest would represent them and a sacrifice would substitute for them and, and they would... Go once a year, this priest, high priest, into this holy of holies, this place that was gated, had a cover, had a door. The only way to go in into the presence of God was to be cleansed. So outwardly washed, sacrifices made for forgiveness. And God could live among his, his people. In fact, our call to worship was all about that this morning. I mentioned at our time of confession. Uh, but Psalm 24 is, is, is this very question. How, how, do we, how do we enter into the presence of God? How do we live in his presence? And, and uh, verse 3 of Psalm 24, Who shall ascend to the hill of the Lord? Who shall stand in his holy place? That's the question, you see. How can we really have life, the very life of God? Then verse 4, Well, it's the one who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and doesn't swear deceitfully. He'll receive the blessing of the Lord and righteousness 
from the God of his salvation. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek the face of the God of Jacob, you see. And I read that and part of my soul soars and part of my soul shrinks. <laughs> because I realize if that's what, I get it, I, I know that's what it takes. God is holy and God is righteous and to be reconciled and to be in, in his place, in, in his presence. Yes, that must be true. But then I look at my own life and I go, rats. So then, the, quest, the, 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 the announcement, lift up your, your heads, O gates, be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the king of glory might come in. Well, who is this king of glory? And can I hang on to him? You see, who is this king of glory? He's the, he's the Lord of hosts, the, 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 the Lord Almighty, the, the Lord who is the captain of those. He's the king of glory. He can come in. And then I, I read from Psalm 118, which I read also this morning for us, um, that uh, uh, verse 19, open to me the gates of righteousness that I may enter through them and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord. The righteous shall enter through it. And I thank you. You've answered me and you've become my salvation. How can I enter into this gate of righteousness? Well, only if I'm declared righteous by God. And how can that be? Verse 22, the stone the builders rejected has become the corner. This is the Lord's doing. It's marvelous in our eyes. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. And, and I begin to see, oh yes, that's, that's about Jesus. Jesus took that expression about himself that, that, and it's been used by uh, others concerning Jesus in the scripture that, that he's the cornerstone rejected that is betrayed and Turned aside and accused and crucified. How, do, how, how, do, how am I righteous? How, how is this door opened for me through Jesus? Well, because he is this very one. He is this righteous one. We enter into his presence. And of course, you remember that when Jesus was crucified, what happened in the temple? <laughs> The veil was opened, the way was made, the door was opened for us that we might enter in. And Jesus said, see, I'm the door, the gate to the sheepfold. You want in, it can only happen through me. Trust me. So he could confidently, forthrightly, honestly say, I'm the door of the sheep. He can honestly say, I'm the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. He and will go in and out and find pasture. See, because the frame of this door is grace. And it's mercy. And it's forgiveness. And it's righteousness. And it's justification, we say. It's this declaration that we're righteous. And we say, how can that be? And, and we can steal the phrase from the reformers that it's an alien righteousness. That it, 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 it comes from outside of us. And it's layered over us. Uh, because it's the Lord's righteousness. And so we come in him, through him. 
into the very presence of of God, into his sheep pen, into his safety, into his protection, into his provision. So I'm the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. And he'll go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. All these other ways, all these other doors we could go through. And all those who come in that don't go through Jesus, they come to steal and kill and destroy. But Jesus says, I've come and I've come that you have life, real life, life to the full. Now knowing this very fact that you're forgiven. No, knowing this very fact that you're accepted by God. Now knowing all of that, you see, the misery that has is true in life comes because of our sin, our selfishness. And the sin and selfishness of others towards us. And we're saved as God sanctifies us. We're saved from that and from the wrath of God that is to come. That we may live life and life eternal. We look at the end in Revelation in chapter 21. uh, We see this, verse 22. John says, I saw no temple in the city. For its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon or sh- to shine on it. For the glory of God gives its light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light, the nations will walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. And its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. In other words, <laughs> you will be going in and out of the very safety and protection of God will live in the midst of them because you don't need to shut them now because we're all there and there'll be no night so there'll be no danger. They'll bring into a glory and the honor of the nations but nothing unclean will ever enter it nor anyone who does what is detestable or false but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. And then verse 20, chapter 22 verse 1 And the angel showed me the river of the the water of life, bright as crystal flowing from the throne of God and the Lamb and through the middle of the street to the city. On on either side of of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and the Lamb will be in it and his servants will worship him and they'll see his face and his name will be on their foreheads and night will be no more. They'll... They will need no light of lamp nor sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. Verse 14. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life, and they may enter the city by the gates. You see, (laughs) Jesus is the gate, the door that brings us life. And please, we must understand that when Jesus makes this statement, he's saying that there is no other way, no other door other than through him. Now, you may want to argue with him whether he's right or wrong about that. But the statement that he's making is a clear one. And so then the question is, Does he have the right to make such a statement? I mean, if I said it, it would be laughable. (laughs) Or evil. Or insane. 
have no claim to make such a statement. You know that and everyone else does too. I don't know anyone who could make such a statement. But Jesus makes it. So we have to ask the question, how can this really be true of him? And, and he says, well, here's, here's my credential. I've given myself for you. I've lived for you that you may be righteous. I've died for you that you might be forgiven your sins. And the way into the presence of God is to be righteous before him. What's your next best alternative? What's your next best door? What's the next best way for you? That's my credential. That's who I am. That's the door. And he says, now come through. The way we come through is by trusting him, by believing him, saying, I'll forsake any other way. I'll forsake any other door that I might go through. Any other way up and over. Uh, I'll simply come through Jesus. And he says, when you come, you see, you have life. You'll have life. Life the way it was meant to be. But now you'll know forgiveness of sins. Now you'll know reconciliation with God. Now you'll know that he is your father. Now you'll know that he cares for you. Now you'll know that you can pray. Now you'll know that he will help you in every situation. Because you see, he'll be your shepherd. And you say, what does that mean? Well, you'll have to come next week. Let's pray. Father, to think that there is a way for us having messed up life in so many ways that there's a way for us that we may enter into your presence. Your love for us is great. Your provision for us is sufficient. Jesus has come. And we realize that he's done it all. We can do nothing. He's done it all. We come not on our own merit, but we place his merits before you on our behalf. And his death for us before you on our behalf that we may be received into your sheepfold, into your protection, into your provision and safety for us. And so I pray that today for all of us in the hearing of this word would believe and know that we believe and know that we've been reconciled to you. Please do that work. Please affirm that work in us. So we do give you thanks. We give you thanks for the work that you are doing, have done and are doing in our life, our lives. We're grateful for what you're doing in our church. We give you thanks for our times of worship. We give you thanks for the life groups that we have. We give you thanks for the retreat that our men have just had. We give you thanks for the concert that's coming up and the blessing we trust it will be. We give you thanks for our Sunday school classes and the teachers that we have and the opportunity that we have to learn and be discipled together. We uh, give you thanks for um, 
those who give themselves in all kinds of ways to teach and to care and to give and to clean and to weed and do all the kinds of things uh, around here and for one another that they do, we're grateful. We give you thanks for the care that you provide to us through each other, the opportunity that we get to care for one another. So we do pray for Lori and her family as we gather this coming Saturday it's for the funeral for her dad. and We pray that you would bring comfort and hope in that situation. Father, we pray for those who need healing for Ed White's sister, Kathy, as she um, deals with this cancer. We pray that you would give her grace and healing. And Mary Harvey, that you would help her as she recovers from her surgery on her back that you would relieve her pain and bring healing there as well. And to others, Father, who are facing these difficulties, that you would be with, with them. Father, we pray that you'd keep us in these days, uh, in the days to come, that you would keep us in faith and enable us to persevere um, till either we pass from this world or Jesus comes. Uh, we pray that we would be able to witness well in our community and throughout the world of the truth of the gospel, that we would do it winsomely, that it would be fresh and honest, that we'd be trusting in your sovereign grace and mercy as we do. But, Father, that we pray that you would draw many, some among us and some out from us, uh, to yourself. And again, we thank you, God, that you're the door Jesus, we could never enter on our own, but we give you thanks that you've done all that is necessary for us to enter into the presence of God, into his kingdom, and that in you there is real life, life that deals with our sin and enables us to live in the world that we live in and give us life eternal. And this we pray in Jesus' name.